Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to an On The Whistle podcast. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Johnny. Hello. It's very good to be back. I mean, I know you obviously have to um, put out a skeleton crew in midweek fixtures, you know, because of the times there. But I'm always around for the weekend fixtures, you know. I'm coming straight back in, straight into the team. And yeah, ready to put in a performance today, Pete. Yeah, and um, Matt Candela's not here today. I'm starting to figure out that maybe you two are a little bit like Obama Yang and Lacazette. It doesn't quite drive <laughs> on the pitch, so I'm separating you out to see if we have a good one today and see if we can learn something. Um, I'll just give us a chance together, okay? I know we can do it. We get on well. <laughs> you know, we've got to build that relationship. So, yeah, hopefully. I, I can't wait to get on the pitch with Matt again, to be honest. I, and to be honest, I, you know, I was kind of glad that you weren't about for the one on Thursday because it was, uh, it was not pleasant. It was a shit performance against Slavia Prague. And I think I, I was certainly worried that, you know, I was very disappointed with what happened last Thursday and was a little bit worried that the wheels were going to come off this season, much like they did last season when there was nothing to play for. But we are here. I'm not drinking a sad beer today. I'm drinking a celebration one because it was a pretty good performance. Give us the hottest of takes. Um, yeah. So I was kind of just saying to you uh, just before we jumped on the record, but you know, it was more of a YouTube game, a YouTube highlight reel game where we clocked up some delicious goals. Um, a lot of the key players that we realistically would need to start seeing recapturing a form if we are going to end this season in any kind of success, they all seem to put a shift in. You're talking your Martinelli's, you're talking your Thomas Parties, Lacazette, two goals, you know, it can't be... Um, shied away from, even though there were some issues with his game, I thought. But, um, you know, a lot of the big players um, will, at the very least, have had their confidence boosted. And we're yet to see what's going to be happening with Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard when it comes to Thursday night. But the reality is, Pete, let's be very clear, um, it's nice to see Arsenal score goals like that and nice to see us play with a little bit of freedom. But the reality is it's Sheffield United um, the league will be no worse for losing McGoldrick, McBurney, people like this. These are pub players. They are, you know, stains on the league at this stage. So, you know, I'm not going to get Brutal. carried. Yeah, no, they're <laughs> dreadful. Really, really poor team. Um, you've got people like Rian Brewster and stuff, not at this level. So when you've got Danny Ceballos looking like Zinedine Zidane in there, you know, I'm not getting carried away and thinking this guy's going to be running things against City. It, the reality is that this is a championship mob and we got our goals up against them. So we'll take it for what it is. Some nice goals. It was a little bit of fun to watch, but the big one is Thursday. And realistically, we have to win that game or, you know, nothing else matters. Yeah, I mean, the 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 show the showing from Sheffield United today just proved out what an incredible job Chris Wilder did last season. And I do think it's a massive shame that they didn't, you, you, they should have just got, should have gone down with him, go down with him and then build back up. And instead, like, what's the point in having that caretaker guy in that's going to, he's going to do nothing for the rest of the season. But, um, you know, ignoring the quality of the opposition, there's no team better in the Premier League uh, completely switching off when there's nothing to play for than Arsenal. Last season, I think we qualified um, for the FA Cup final 
and played against Aston Villa, who were looking like a surefire bet to go down. And we put it on an absolute disaster class. Um, I think the strategy was clear from Arteta today. Uh, he rested a few players against Liverpool. We lost 3-0. Fans wanted him ousted. Players lost all of their confidence. And then Thursday night was a disaster. I think the calculation today was we have to show something. We have to create some sort of confidence and momentum going into this Thursday away game at Slavia Prague because otherwise we're going to get beaten. So, yeah, the opposition was bad. But what the thing, the positives that you've got to take from it, when Arteta isn't picking teams based on ego, he has what it takes. You know, like Obama Yang uh, out with flu, despite there being no flu in the UK at the moment, <laughs> looked like a good choice. Um, I thought the tactics were innovative. I thought we were dynamic going forward, obviously helped by Sheffield United that don't know who they want to be on the pitch. But, you know, you've still got to, you've still got to turn up in games like that. You've still got to fight. So I was impressed with the tactics. I was impressed with the players that had a point to prove, proving that point. Um, and 3-0 is, is, is a boost. The only, um, the, only the, the, the real issue out of a game like that is, you know Saka is on the edge. Everybody knows that Saka is on the edge. And part of you is like, why did you bother playing him in a, in a dead game? But then it's, you've got no Tierney, no Odegaard, no Smith-Rowe, no Aubameyang. You're like, where, there's no, and getting creativity out of the midfield that we had on show was, uh, I don't know. I, I just think if we'd, if we'd not had Saka in the side, we wouldn't have won that game today, which is a sad indictment of the, of the depth of the squad, but also um, a, a, a reality. So we just got to hope that that was a dead leg. We do, we do. And um, that was certainly going to be the um, other side of the coin with regards to how we uh, kind of analyse the result from today. Because Saka is, uh, I've said for a long time, our best attacking player. I don't think that's changed. I think he, one way or another, gets us moving. I don't think he necessarily should be at this stage of his career. We shouldn't be that dependent on a 19-year-old. But it's kind of um, a sign of the times with regards to how far Arsenal have fallen and how underperforming some of our supposedly more established uh, attacking players, the likes of Aubameyang, have been this year, that we genuinely do uh, march to the beat of Saka's drum a lot of the time. And, you know, I think you're right. It's easy to uh, be, you know, revisionist when it comes to Saka going down with an injury. And we don't know the extent of it yet, as you said. But... You know, you kind of Arteta will be damned if you do, damned if you don't. Really, if 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 we found out Saka was carrying a knock going in, absolutely shouldn't be playing. That would be silly. But apart from that, you also want to generate a little bit of momentum and a little bit of um, kind of synergy with regards to our attacking lineup. If Pepe is going to play, give him a bit of confidence rather than saving Saka just for a big game and him not, you know, hitting the ground running. But ultimately, if if he is missing. And I think there's even more pressure now on Smith-Rowe and either, either Erdegaard or both being fit in midweek. If they're carrying knocks and Saka's out, they're going to have to play anyway, I think. Um, but, you know, I'd also... I think Martinelli's looked really exciting today. And why, why, why would you try and revert? Obviously, you've mentioned about Aubameyang's supposed case of flu. But... Um, you know, why would you try and go back to Aubameyang for Thursday now? I, I, that that just seems to not be working. So why not get a bit of confidence with the likes of Martinelli, with the likes of Pepe doing well today at, at times? Um, you know, and whether Saka's playing or not, hopefully Smith-Rowe can plug in there. And then we'll go after Spartapod because we are going to have to obviously score goals out there. And I don't think, you know, one's going to get us through. I think we might have to get a couple of goals out there. So we will have to be kind of firing on all cylinders when it comes to um, Thursday night from a attacking point of view. Yeah. And I think the, uh, I think the thing that we've learned about our strikers is there's one number nine position and it's either Aubameyang or it's Lacazette. If you play Lacazette, you lack a clinical edge in front of goal, but you have a player that can draw in fast technical players to create overloads on the left, on the right, drop deep in midfield. And if you play Aubameyang, the strategy is support the old man by just feeding him balls. Yeah. And 
I, I was I was wondering which which system I prefer, and I I think most Arsenal fans would probably say the game that Lacazette gave us against Spurs and the way that we played today felt more exciting and maybe more suited to the players that we had on offer. Nicolas Pepe loves to come inside. Martinelli loves to come inside. I was so happy to see them both doing that today versus like hugging the touchline, which I don't think is their strengths. But it's, you know, I, I wanted to get your take, right? If out of the number nines, based on what you've seen this season, which system do you prefer? Well, I don't even think it's a, it's a debate. I mean, the facts of the matter are, like, the, I think most Arsenal fans understand the pros and cons of Lacquer and Oba, you know, and uh, and the fact is that Oba really needs to be delivering goals to justify his place. When he's not delivering goals, he just simply does not add enough to our style of play. He doesn't make other players around him play better, um, whereas... Um, uh, Lacazette is kind of a force force multiplier when it comes to the likes of Saka, the likes of Smith Rowe, all of these guys. Even if Lacazette's not as clinical as maybe he once was, and and certainly as Obama Yang used to be, um, you know what he does. He makes Saka have a better game than Saka was have with Obama Yang. He does the same thing with Smith Rowe. Uh, he does the same thing with Erdegaard. They all enjoy feeding into him and receiving balls. Um, off of like he's kind of around the corner player. There's lots of um, he 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 encourages movement in behind because Lacazette can play that one touch football. Because uh, let's face it, if it was down strictly down to his finishing, it's a toss up who you'd put in because Lacazette right now, misses yeah. some shockers. He's absolutely shocking some of it. Um, I just want to say one thing though. I know you kind of slipped it in there a bit of Arteta love, like yeah, masterclass, you know, against Sheffield United, but. This is Sheffield United. Let's contextualise this result. They're a poor outfit with a you know a, a manager who's who's going to be in for the next couple of weeks and probably won't ever get a club again. You know this this isn't a poor this is a poor team. So I think it's quite easy to look good strategically against a team. Arteta's proving ground will be Thursday night against. You know, I don't think Spotify. A shit team. Well, they're, they're not they're not well beaters, but no. they're they're game opposition compared to a championship mob like Sheffield United. So, um, you know, when the pressure's on, we'll see how Arteta gets on, and ultimately that will be the deciding factor as far as I'm concerned, because I won't be looking back in the summer at this season going, Oh, didn't we play well at Sheffield United? I've already forgot about it, quite frankly. So, um, yeah, it's a very big week. And at the very least, at least it's good that we're taking this confidence from today into a real crunch fixture. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I I think it it was a tactical masterclass in the sense that I have seen us play against teams like Sheffield United pre-Christmas and we've been absolutely shocking. Um, I, I liked I liked some of the innovations that I saw out on the pitch today. Uh, Saka playing a roaming ten to the level that he was playing it was uh, really exciting to watch. Shunting Danny Sapias out onto the left wing to <laughs> to stop him being such a dangerous threat um, to our defense. Even it, he even then he still tried to play a through ball with his head that could have been um, dangerous. <laughs> and then giving um, giving Thomas Partey the reins to play quick fast balls um in and around the back of people. I thought it was um I thought it was an interesting performance and I'd love to see that against a better team. But you know, we, we have seen Arteta play great football against you know, I, I, our performance against Spurs was good. Our performance against yes. Leicester was good. The second half against West Ham was good. But it's like it keeps on having a good game and then it's a bad game and we can't get any sort of consistency out of it. And generally it's because when we start playing well, he falls back on things yeah. that haven't worked in the past. And I think your point about over, it's like there isn't a case for him starting on Thursday. There isn't a case for starting William on Thursday. William no. cannot play that number 10 role. And no. um, I think the, I think the challenge is who's going to be fit because you could put Smith Rowe in that soccer role on Thursday, probably with the same team that we started today, and you'd probably get a good performance. Yeah. Just what's what where does his where does his temptations go? It usually falls on senior players because he's got this weird thing where he's like, teenagers can't do it. And it's like well, every time you give teenagers a chance, they do it. And I thought Gabriel Martinelli, 
a quiet performance by his standard, but he just showed what you don't get from Aubameyang on the left. Those balls over the top. You know, if you'd had Martinelli on against Liverpool, he would have been taking those chances on those runs. But Aubameyang doesn't take those chances. He doesn't. He's not good enough in defence. I mean, it's a it's a really concerning moment for Aubameyang as well because you're like, where does where does this end? Because he doesn't look like he's got. A f- if he doesn't have goals, what does he have? To your point, yeah. I mean, I mean. So there's a lot there. So the first the first thing is. You know, uh, this this isn't like, you know, kind of knocking Arteta, but it's more, you know, are we going to give him credit for... Like, basically, this is... A, it was an... Yes, I think he picked a good team today. The problem is, is that it's easy to do that when the league's over. You're playing against a, a relegated team, basically. You know, and every fan in, you know, the gunner's sphere is saying, start Gabriel Martinelli. That's not even a gamble. It's been... We've been crying out for it for weeks. Play this man. Give him a chance. So it's, it wasn't really much of a gamble to do it. It wasn't much of a, oh, he's really putting You know, don't get me wrong. Like, it's not to be, it's not to be not for playing him. But really, you just look at it. And I thought it was a really encouraging performance for Martinelli. And you're thinking, why didn't he play a couple of weeks to go? You know, we, some big games, I'm sure we could have had influence. Because like, as you say, Pete, We've had next to nothing in terms of production from Aubameyang. It's just, it feels like just a, a failed project just constantly being repeated when you're starting him and it just doesn't work. So, you know, and I, I, you've mentioned a couple of times about Thomas Party's performance as well. And that is really encouraging because it was almost like, particularly in the week as well, when I thought he played quite poorly, actually. Um, it wasn't and, his best game, yeah. Terrible. No, it, and it's like he had... The Arsenal slime on him. He'd been infected. He did you know, get infected, by, yeah. Yeah, like the weak mentality. And this has happened to so many of our players over the years. They come in and they play wicked at the start because they're bringing their old club's mentality. So we've been playing with Atletico Madrid's Thomas Party for six months. And now we've got Arsenal's Thomas Party. Yeah. Who's, who's learned to switch off learn to bottle big occasions. You know, it is a disease. In I don't know, right, whether when we served up, when Wenger served up uh, Tottenham Hotspur, that dodgy lasagna, you know, the, uh, spiritually, that lasagna, whether there was like a, a reciprocal curse that was going to be put on us because out, we, we've just had this bottle job mentality that seeps into, you know, even um, – incoming players after a while it'll grind them down there's only a few who maintained it all the way so I'm pleased to see that he uh, party was playing today and he looked different gravy that ball for Lacazette's third goal was absolutely sensational and it just shows a touch of class that you know you know that party's got to offer but we're going to need him in those big moments to step up and um you know, make a really kind of influential uh, performance on Thursday because he's one of our better players and we're going to need to see him more consist- consistently affecting the game. I like, I also like Granite Jacker. Granite Jacker is so underrated. Like I started watching the Marvel movies because I was like, I've never seen a Marvel movie and I've been going through all of the the, the films and Jacker's got that Captain America injection where he's the he's the most robust player in the Premier League no one ever says we should rest Granite Xhaka because he got, might get injured because he's made of different stuff but I, I loved seeing him at left back today because it gave you a little bit of reassurance that the balls coming out of the back were going to be good and he put in a really solid performance I know against terrible opposition but we have seen him do that in big games before you know we've seen him slip into defense so I thought that that was um I thought that was positive. And again, he's another player on uh, Thursday night who's going to have to show up and impose himself. I thought it was, um, you know, I thought that was a really underrated performance from Jacker today. And again, he's a useful player. He's not our best, but he's the least of our problems. It, it, it's, it's a really weird situation with Granite Jacker because. This season has really illuminated where he stands in the Arsenal pecking order, and 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 you've just said it right. The least of our problems, <laughs> you give him, you give, him, you have to give him compliments, but also they're measured. And that is like I said a couple of weeks ago on the pod. You know, I don't think you win a league 
I don't think you can win a league with Granite Xhaka starting in centre midfield every week for your team. I, I'm not even sure you get top. I think I think basically you get top four with Granite Xhaka being in and around the squad. He's solid, but what he doesn't do is put in. You know, he's obviously a temperamental player and he can have shockers. But more often than not, he's pumping out decent displays. When you look at how up and down a Danny Ceballos is, who looks like an absolute Rolls yeah. Royce today, and then you know the other week you're like, "Can we get you on a Ryanair straight away back to your club?" Because shocking. And um, you know, Granite Xhaka has just suddenly become unspectacularly just a, a very consistent performer for Arsenal, and not necessarily a player who's going to take us onto the next level, but isn't going to hold us back from getting there. And that is, um, you know, a, a testament to him because he does, he's much maligned, but the reality is, is he has been, you know... He's a, a 7 out of 10 camp. most games. He is. He's got a lot better than what he was in previous years. He still has brain fart moments, but at the end of the day, um, they're, you know, kind of every seven or eight games, but the rest of the other games, you're getting decent performances, as you said. And, and I think in a squatter's temperamental as ours that has to be applauded at the moment unfortunately so what did um uh, what did you think of so Gabriel uh centre-back Gabriel dropped to the bench Pablo Marie steps in how do you feel about Marie and and Rob Holding so in general uh you know Marie has been an interesting defender uh for me to watch this year because I don't know what it is about him, but he does. It just there's an assuredness about his play. He he doesn't seem rapid, but he doesn't seem like he ever gets caught out very often by what he does. I mean, there's a few times I'm thinking about um, the Aston Villa game. There was a mistake in there. He was part of the problem uh, along with Cedric. But most of the time, like there was a ball where he got there to the ball today, and he just he's just read the game really well. And it's not like he's running 100 metres like Usain Bolt, but he's getting there because he's reading it well. And we, I could see him being a solution in the, um, you know, in the back line for Arsenal moving forward. I do think that he, he will obviously need an athletic player playing with him. Um, I'm not necessarily sure Rob holding Mari is the combo that we need. Um, but, you know, Gabriel has had some up and down games lately and is looking a little bit shaky at the moment. So I have no issues with it, taking him out the kind of spotlight, giving him a chance to just kind of recoup, let him know that you're not going to have to play every game. If you're not playing well, you're not playing. Um, and if Mari can come in and look, not being funny, I know it's Sheffield United, but this is the first clean sheet we've had in about, you know, three months. It's like, we can't, months, yeah. you know, we can't mess around with that. Like, you know, I'm sure Leno's going to be sitting there, you know, and bought himself a special badge that he sticks on today because he's, uh, feels like he's actually an effective keeper. So, you know, it, at the end of the day, any confidence that we could have got out of today was going to help us ahead of a very big game coming up. Um, and you know it was it was just very good that it did go the way it did because I think that we can look to that game with a confidence that the result could go a different way as it did on Thursday night. Yeah, I agree. And a, a, another player that that I wanted to talk about, Nicholas Pepe. It kind of you, you get the you get the best and worst of him in every single game which I do think is why he struggles to get a run. Like the first 30 minutes, his touch was appalling, like championship level. And then he just has these flashes of brilliance where you just, it's it, he is Carnu-esque. When he's on point, he's Carnu-esque, but Carnu with pace. Um, and he had some great moments today. Um, uh, but he always, what I like about him is he's got that um, doggedness that Adebayor used to have. Adebayor would miss from a yard, but he'd be back in and back in and back in. And I don't think he showed that last season. I don't think, I think he hid when things weren't going his way. But I felt like today he really grew with the game as it went on. And I was so happy for him to, I mean, does it count as an assist when you have a shot? Doesn't, does it? No. Does it, it, does, it does in fantasy league. So I count it, you know, I'm so, like, yeah, so you that's got the assist, assist, mate. <laughs> yeah. got the assist. 
but yeah, like, so what do you, what did you think of, what do you think about Nicholas Pepe, the the player in general? Like, I just can't nail it. Is this is is, it, is he championship? Is he on the verge of elite? Where where does he sit with you? It's it's so hard to get a definitive answer with regards to Pepe because he is just so up and down, um, and you know, uh, like today, like you you hit the nail on the head. It, it kind of it embodied everything about him. He gave you the worst and the best, you know. And and what I do like is there is an aggression that he um, has developed where he constantly wants to take the man on. Uh, he wants to, you know, be the difference, but then that leads to like really frustrating moments where it looks like he can't sort his feet out and he just runs it out of play and stuff. But, you know, when he is running um, at his fullback and he has that ability to cut inside and curl it, you know, it's a nightmare for goalkeepers. We know he can finish in that bottom corner as well, but that's why you need someone like a Martinelli there to pick up the scraps because Pepe can influence... I mean, look, the reality is, is he gave you the best and the worst in midweek as well. And that finish um, in midweek was very, very good. Like, that was high-speed football, you know. And to a finish like that, very smart finish over the keeper when you're flying in on goal. We've seen so many players just not have the ability to kind of calm themselves and execute technique at high speed. Because... We've got a lot of pacey players, but it's not about being just fast. You know, I'm sure there are loads of players. Reese Nelson's fast. It's the ability to, you know, make the difference when travelling at those kinds of speeds, which make you so deadly on the break. And Pepe does have that potential, but I'm not convinced. And even then, like, you know, I'd have to push back on something you said, just purely from a, I think we may be underestimating Nwankwo Kanu's ability. He was the nuts, by the way. He like he's not. He wasn't just some bit part player. Carney was sick, and and he could have played more. Like if he wasn't Omri and uh, Burkamp knocking about at the same time, Carney was a top top player. I love um, Carney. I he was love sick. him. He he, was he, he, he he was like he'd do stuff, and you'd be like, that was that was actually unprofessional. What he did to that person yeah. just ended someone's career with. Um, he do. I think uh, Ronaldo. Uh, original Ronaldo, he was like the stuff that Carney used to do at Inter Milan's training. He was the best player I've ever seen. You know, yeah, like, unbelievable. But 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 the the point about Carney is like you know Pepe is not at the level, but he's got that unorthodox nature about his game. Yeah, which yeah, is, uh, uh, it's more it's more curse than gift at the moment. But you're like, is 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 Pepe on the cusp of something? Because if that first touch just picks up a little bit and he feels more confident and gets a bit of a run, maybe, maybe there's something special there. Definitely. I, I completely get your point now. I, 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 and I do agree. The problem is, is I'm, I'm not convinced he's ever going to, I'm not convinced he's ever going to be able to get it together where he is doing it consistently. I think, you know, we've got enough of a sample size now with Nicolas Pepe to think this may this may actually be who he is. This is what you're going to keep getting, like where he'll turn up in one game, be the best player on the pitch, and then in another game, just be completely anonymous, pocketed by, you know, any players that show aggression and get tight. So he is going to have to find a way of performing on a more consistent basis. We've said many times on this pod, about the positive influence Saka and Smith-Rowe, I think, have had on his, uh, on Pepe's game um, by encouraging him um, to be more assertive on the pitch and take responsibility. But, you know, at the, the fact is, is we, we only play with one striker, as we laid out. And not only do we play with one striker, our striker isn't the most prolific necessarily anyway. Scored a couple today, well done. Um but in general, we need goals from those like wing forward players. Like Lacazette is not someone who's going to be banging goals every week. So if those two players who are playing in those wing forward positions, who are benefiting from Lacazette's link up play, aren't picking up the slack with goals as well, then we inevitably will start to find it hard to come by. Um, uh, goals, I mean, and obviously find wins harder to come by if we're not. Um, getting goal, score, goal scorers in those positions because they are really, really important in the way that we're set up. And that, that's why you've got. Um, that's why it's almost 
it's quite, like what's why the Aubameyang signing is almost quite indulgent. His inclusion as a nine is indulgent because what you're saying is we're almost a one man team. Yeah. You've, you've got to feed him and he's got to be in the mood. Otherwise you've got nothing. And it's like, take, take Obama Ying's goals out and, and Lacazette's a better player, right? He's, he's a hundred percent a better player. And the idea of like Lacazette bringing Pepe, Martinelli, Erdegaard, Smith Rowe, Saka into the game, you feel like if those younger players like click with goals, that's the better solution. And the interesting thing is like, when Obama Yen goes, what is the model of the striker? I mean, we, we can talk about, I know we're going a little bit off topic, but hey, it's, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. Yeah. Flo Balogun signed. Yeah. Flo Balogun did not sign for just money, right? He, he signed because there's a plan. Yeah. And Flo Balogun is explosive. He can play out wide. He's uh, he's powerful and can score goals. He's almost like I, I, like in that Aguero mold from a, from a, like the style of play that he has. And it's like maybe that's that's where we're moving. Maybe he becomes the player that we try and grow into a Lacazette type player, but with more energy. And what what, so, did, what do you think? Well, well, it's, it's interesting, you know, that you bring this up as well because that was really in, encouraging news with Balogun. It, it would have felt like a real kick in the teeth if he went on and did like a nabbery. You know, we are, we are not in a position where we can afford to waste elite talent. Like Thirty million pound player, right? The, yeah, like we've got to have a look at these guys. You know, this is also why the Saliba situation is so concerning. You, you have to at least look at them because we can't, you know, mess any more players up. We can't miss on any ones that are in our door. We don't need any more photos like the Ibrahimovic photo floating around or no. pictures from Yaya Toure in a pre-season at Barnet. Like K- Kylian Mbappe. Exactly. We ain't got any more of them photos in us as Arsenal fans. Our souls so getting true. ripped out. Like, you know, we've got to have a look at these guys and make yeah. sure if you're leaving at the door, then you ain't good enough. Otherwise, you know, it'll, it'll be too much of a sickener. So it's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that it looks like Balogun uh, is going to be sticking around. But, um, you know, when you when you look at where the Aubameyang situation is now, I personally think this is when you need the kind of the dirty dealings of football. You need those conversations with agents and clubs now. And I would I would be looking around for a buyer for Aubameyang. Um, obviously, we're not going to get a huge amount of money, but... I was thinking the other day, who, if anyone, would actually sign Aubameyang? Because he's on big money. Um, he's, you know, uh, he's obviously got real pedigree when it comes to playing football. And obviously, it would also depend on where he'd go. But I think at this stage, Aubameyang's quite enjoying the money. Um, if the last six months anything to go by, it looks like he's, you know, not that focused on his football. So, you know, if, if we did come to him and say we've accepted a bid from X, and, and I was looking at the kind of profile for a team because it has to be a team that has money, is playing in a competitive league where Aubameyang would consider going and moving to the project, feeling like he's not been, you know, his career chucked away. And um, it would have to be a club that's in a win-now mentality. So it's like, if we, if you signed an elite player would they take you to the next level? And I was thinking about Everton, right? And if we offered Everton Aubameyang for £20 million, he can play up front with Calvert-Lewin, you know, Richarlison can fit in some other way. Would they take that? They've got Usmanov's money. I think think they'd be all over that. Ancelotti, real manager for Aubameyang to go and play with. And, And I think that's the kind of deal that would benefit everyone right now. Um, because let's face it, Everton would think that they have the oppo- uh, 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 an opportunity to get Aubameyang back to last year's Aubameyang or the year before. Um, you know, they could get one more 30-goal season out of him, which would be enough for Everton to really shoot up the light table. And I think Arsenal could start planning ahead as well. And we've got young players who, at the very least, should be getting a go now. Um, but, you know, I, I, do, I do think that Aubameyang's position at the club He's under real, real threat now, or, or certainly should be, if not like necessarily leaked to the press. I think that people should, who are making the decisions at Arsenal, should think about how that could look without him at the club. Um, you know, with a meet, you know, by the summer, basically. 
I think the 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 interesting point that you raise about Everton and, and when you read um, Mashiri talk in the press, Carlo Ancelotti was the first star that he really got uh, at Everton. And it's a point of prestige there that they've got Carlo Ancelotti. Carlo Ancelotti is a manager of stars. So yeah. you've got you've got that on your side. Um, I also think there are some other clubs that he might work for. You have to look if the best way to get uh, Obama Yang working is you surround him with technical players yeah. that have power and pace. Chelsea, I think pretty sure Tuchel has uh, got quite a lot out of Obama Yang when he had Dembele. I'm pretty sure that that's correct. Um, PSG. Um, are always in the market for now players. Aubameyang speaks French. And I'd, I'd even go as far as United, right? Uh, are they going to keep um, Cavani on much past next season? Do they need a finisher? Probably. Um, would 350 grand a week scare United away? Absolutely not. So there are options. And I just, I, I think that what today proved for me in a small sense, but actually something we've seen all season, when Arteta picks based on um, ability and not not prestige or seniority. He does a good job. And it's uh, if you look at the young managers around the world that are doing good jobs at the moment, Nagelsmann in particular, Nagelsmann doesn't work with stars, right? He works with young players. I think the average age of the Leipzig squad is 24 years old. So he can be top dog in that scenario. Mikel Arteta is trying to manage egos He's trying to teach old dogs new tricks and it and it doesn't work. But if you if he had to work with like the young players that he's got at the moment next season without the burden of worrying about whether Aubameyang's going to sulk all season, I think we'd be better off for it. And to get another £36 million back in the coffers, that's probably going to be wasted because what you can't do next season is give Aubameyang the captaincy again, right? No, no. And then you immediately humiliate him. So yeah. it's almost like the only option. Sell him. It's sell him, yeah. Or like even if you just let him go now, like get, get in that 18 million pounds. Imagine how much, um, imagine how much like Erdogan, 38 grand a week. Saka, like what, maybe 50, probably 70. At a certain mm, 70, point. I think, yeah. Smith Rowe, 30 grand uh, a yeah. week. Like all of our young, our, our five or six best young players don't make anywhere near what Aubameyang makes a week. Like yeah. combined, they're not making that. So I, I, I think that it's, um, it feels like a no-brainer. Willian is kind of harmless, and everyone loves him at the training ground. Apparently, so I don't think he's problematic. But Aubameyang has been problematic all season, and he's also got a history of being a bit of a pain. And I think he's, I think he might have got sold under Tuchel. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Johnny. And I think you've got to find a club that wants a prestige player that has more money than sense, and that could be Everton. Well, the, the thing about it is, just on that point, like if we don't sell him now, I think we'll lose any opportunity of selling him. I think the situation will become probably untenable at Arsenal. And this is a, you know, an asset that still retains some value, certainly to some clubs. And if we don't cash in, I think that money's gone, as well as paying his wages, as you say. But the other thing, you know, you flagged up at the start is the similarities with the Mesa Ozil situation. But to play that out a little bit more, um, I think you're also finding yourself in a situation where Aubameyang might look at the situation and say, well, I'm willing to back myself that I'm going to be here longer than you are, Arteta. Because the reality is, is we're a couple of bad games away from at least half the fan base calling for the manager's head. And Aubameyang might be looking at it going... Well, how would I perform under, you know, next manager who I, you know, would hope would be considered for the post or whatever? And I think there'll be a lot of managers who would be keen for him to still be around if they were going to take on this project. You know, just because Aubameyang doesn't work for Arteta, if there was a change of manager, Aubameyang might be a central figure to that manager. Um, so I think in that situation, you know, we, we had it with Ozil and Emery where... You know, at one point, Urza was kind of like, I've got a feeling I'm going to be here longer than you are. And he was right, <laughs> you know, but then uh, he got taken down in the um, subsequent um, tenureship by Arteta. But Aubameyang might fancy his chances of outlasting Arteta at this stage because 
you know, okay, coming back to it, it's a very, very big week. And as much as you say about um, the kind of positive signs Arteta could work with that young squad and stuff, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't guarantee it either. You know, there are issues that I've said, you know, when we're talking about player management, we're talking about Salibas, we're talking about um, how the Balogun situations come to this stage. I think Maitland-Niles has to go if Arteta stays. So... There's a few situations that are still yet to be um, ironed out and decided as to which way we'll go. But, um, you know, for me, from what I'm looking at the moment, if Arteta was to stay, I, I just don't see how Aubameyang has a future at the club anymore. It, it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I, I just wonder whether I don't... I, like, Mesut Ozil was savaged by the German media after the World Cup. I think personally he had a bit of an identity crisis. I think he fell out of love with the game after he was rejected by Germany in general and you know yeah. like rejected by the German FA. And I think he just I think he just gave up. And I I think the Özil situation is very different and Özil stopped becoming he stopped being an elite player, right? He it, th- There were no assists left to give because he didn't want to adapt his game. I don't think Aubameyang is in that situation. He's incredibly fit. His career started um, a little bit later. And I think I think he'll fancy his chances of winning a Champions League somewhere. Like, he, Aubameyang doesn't have a World Cup. He hasn't won a Champions League. He hasn't played for Real Madrid. And he's still pretty young, right? You go to Seriana, what well, Ibrahimovic just got a new deal. Like there is there is juice left in the tank for Aubameyang. And I don't think it doesn't feel on brand for a brash, charismatic man who wants to be adored, right? I think. So I think if if Arsenal said there's a like we, we can just call this a day, you don't have to do the the two, three years. I think number one, there was never a market for Meza Ozil. Right on three hundred and fifty grand, there was never a market for him. There wasn't an even there wasn't a market for him before we gave him that deal, which makes the deal even crazier. Um, yeah. There is always a market for goal scorers, but it's but it would take bold leadership to do that, and I, I just don't know whether Edu has got the minerals to do something as aggressive as that. You know, just I, as- I, I I don't I'm I think there are more similar or, or potentially more similarities than you might be giving credit for because. You know, you, you talk about Ozil, like when this first started going on with Ozil, when we saw his form start to tail off, you know, it, I don't think it was completely like off a cliff. It, there were signs of his uh, form eroding and then suddenly it went away. And it's similar to, you, you know, you talk about Ozil, his game being built around assists. Aubameyang's built around goals and there are no goals anymore. You know, and and you think if Ozil wasn't influencing games and, and he was still capable of, you know, one-off special performances, as Aubameyang is. But we're seeing now consistent decline. And the reason why I would um, uh, pose as a potential um, uh, kind of solution as to why that is, is because Aubameyang, I know he scores a lot of goals in the kind of fox-in-the-box mode, but he's still a pace player. He still springs defences with his pace, and he does look slower than what he used to be. But... What's been more concerning is his ruthless finishing has just been off in midweek again. Like that was a big chance he missed, a really big chance, and that's the kind of thing that he always finishes. So at his age, you know, you talk about him being young. He's not. He's not that young. What is he like? Thirty-one now. And yeah. It's like you know that's. Alan Shearer yeah. was doing it at thirty-five. Yeah, and Ibrahimovic, but these two, these are not players that ever relied on that you know, quick pace in their game. And um, I don't necessarily know that, you know, Thierry Henry was playing at his highest level when he was 35, that kind of mould of player. Um, So I do kind of, I'm I'm concerned that we are starting to see, uh, this isn't just a bit of bad patch of form of Aubameyang. This is more indicative of a, you know, a, a, a real regression in his abilities. So I think that right now there's enough of a, deniable factor that it could just be bad form or he could be upset with a manager or his personal life that we might still get a prize for him if we were to let him leave now but I think another bad season at Arsenal if we do hang on to him and he will be worth nothing he 
we won't be able to even get him off the books to sign another contract somewhere else. And then you're going to end up with a real mess at Ozil situation where he's on big bucks and he doesn't even play anymore. So I do really think we should be looking to... We certainly can't have him and Lacazette at the club together anymore. That that little bad boys unit has got to get broken up now. We've got to get rid of Will Smith or Martin Lawrence. One of them's got to go. Yeah, they really do. And, and, I, and I'm voting for um, Aubameyang. I, I think just because he it might actually be more valuable to us. And then, and then, obviously, we're really hoping that Balogun does take on the kind of mantle that's laid down before him and or Martinelli kicks into gear and shows us that that centre-forward role is something that he could do capably. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I like I like Balogun because he rates himself, right? He really fucking rates himself. Was going to potentially get a move to Bayer Leverkusen, which is it's also you know it's it's a positive. Bayer Leverkusen are extremely good at scouting young, exciting players. So I think that that's good news. And you know, if next season we didn't sign a striker and it was Lacazette, Martinelli, and Flo Balogun as your three options, I'd feel pretty good about that. And and the fans would like that look. That Lacazette might not be the best finisher, but you never doubt his work ethic. You never doubt his attitude behind the scenes. Aubameyang is, um, he has the gift, in my opinion, of just looking at him. And I've said this before, there are certain people in life who have the gift of bringing a room up or with a single look, n- killing the energy. And I think that when Aubameyang is sad, everybody's sad. And I think that, I, I suspect that that might play into the, the thinking next season. If we want to go young, you can't have a senior player like that in the room. And today... I know it's Sheffield United, but if you had a sad Aubameyang sitting on the bench, would we have got the same performance? I don't know. Um, but definitely, uh, there's a big question mark on Thursday. Does he come straight back in? Because real flu, if you had real flu, that wipes you out for two weeks. You don't you don't get back in the mix on Thursday night. So it's going to be interesting to see what sort of move Arteta makes. And if he drops him, he's finished. Right? There's no coming back from that from a relationship perspective. Um, well, that that would be for them to kind of work out. But yeah, it's interesting that they said flu because they're like, yeah, you know. I mean, I'm just thinking about my fantasy league thing now and he'd be like a 25% to play because flu's hard to get over. Like they could have just said, oh, he's got the sniffles and then he'd have been a chance for Thursday. But the flu, no, you're out, mate. But as I say, I mean... Flu is clear, like calling in sick at work and they're like, oh, what happened? And you're like, oh, 27 cob car pile up on the motorway you're like fuck that's terrible was it on the news and it, like it's just a bad excuse just say he's got an ankle knock or he's being rested it was it's it's the second worst excuse outside he turned up late for a team meeting the one against spurs equally humiliating really because every arsenal fan's like that's not true yeah yeah i mean i think everyone can see through what this is but this is what i mean i do think with um the kind of senior players, certainly your club captain. I think that a call goes in, you know, between Thursday and Sunday, where it's like, you're not playing. Um, we're we're going to tell everyone that you've got flu. You can stay at home um, and save the kind of embarrassment. Or you can go to the press and say you got dropped and, you know, and then we'll go from there. But it's a PR move. I don't think he's got flu. I don't think he's going to be playing in the next game. And if he does get dropped for these big games. I don't really see how you can, you know, force him back into the team, dependent on if... Like, this is a big opportunity now for Martinelli. This is a big opportunity for a Balogun. This is, this is your shot. Show If you show the fan base and the manager that you can do this, there will be no way of going back. This is like a... Uh, this is like when Smith-Rowe started getting included from the Chelsea game, and then our whole... Um, kind of system of play changed because a player showed you what they could be capable of. But the reason why, and I, you know, I, to go back on what I was saying before about the kind of um, kind of not necessarily giving uh, Arteta too much credit for playing this team now is because I don't like this idea that he has to be have no other option to find this solution when everyone else was saying play Martinelli, play Martinelli. 
and then he gets to his last ebb all the time before he rolls these dice. I, I, I'm not. I'm not really sure we should have to go that far before Aubameyang gets dropped when he's been playing shit, quite frankly, for about six, seven weeks now. I don't know why you have to come to this all or nothing scenario all the time. I'd like to see this done earlier so we can one have accountability for bad performances and two start to. A player like Martinelli, who's been out for so long, give him a run in the team. It can't just be, you know, 20 minutes here, one-offs. He needs to play the next game now, or any goodwill that was built up today goes in the bin. Yeah, I agree. You can't you can't punish Martinelli for eight weeks. It's eight weeks since that Villa game for a bad 55 minutes. But you're like, David Luiz... Get back in there, son. Danny Ceballos, back in the sun. It's crazy. But I, I think that I, I, I agree with you. Like one of the biggest weaknesses of Arteta is deference to senior players. He's got that um, Man City, you know, mm. lens on where he's like, put Aguero in and you guarantee goals. You put Jesus in and it's, it's going to be difficult. It's like, no, completely different scenario here. Like the you get more energy, you get more more of a player that works for the type of system that you have and fans for, fans will always forgive Martinelli for being hungry and having a bad game they will not yeah. forgive William who is uh you know Chelsea reject so yeah. predictions for uh predictions for Thursday I mean look I've I've got my Arsenal hat on and I'm saying that I think we're going to find a way to get through, but I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be you know a cut and shut situation. I think um, we might get through having drawn out having drawn uh, drawn out there. Um, I think like a two all might see us through. Um, I if Saka doesn't play, I think that's going to be a problem for us. But we've just got to be going at them with an absolute kitchen sink because there. Obviously, we need to score. We're going out. But I don't think it's just going to be, you know, try and get one goal and hang on. I can see them scoring against us. They're going to be much more open and aggressive than they were, you know, um, at our ground. So I think that we really need to be going in with a mentality where we're going to have to score two or three goals to get through. And I think we're capable of that. There's nothing I saw from Sparta Prague that is particularly scary but I definitely think they could knock us out if we have an off night. <laughs> you know, they're not they're not mugs. They're just a durable team, if quite unspectacular. But we are not going to just be able to mail it in and just sail through to next round. And more to the point, we shouldn't want that because no. if, we, if we do get through and we play shit, Emery's Villarreal, they'll roll us over. So it's not going to matter whether we go out now or the next round. We need to start putting together performances that might give us encouragement that we can actually win the competition because that's what we're in this for and we've got to remember that. I think if you, I think if we play that kind of 3-1, 3-3 formation against Sparta Prague and we've got Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard in that system, I think we can rip them apart. I'm hoping that the intention of today is taken into the Slavia Prague game because it certainly wasn't in the first leg. But Arteta's the big learning from today. Put players in that want to play. And we haven't spoken about Cal Chambers. Cal Chambers wanted to prove a point today. And he was good again, you know. Um, put putting Aubameyang straight back in there. Going right with William uh, again. It would just, you're, you're right. It's like Arteta built up some goodwill today. Don't crater it by just falling back on the senior players that are always going to fuck you over. Yeah. I'm, and I mean, I don't mind it. Like, the thing is, is what I've keep, kept saying all along is I'll judge Arteta by the same standard. We have to win the Europa League. We've got to. That is, that's the benchmark. Um, and we've talked about, you know, potential mitigating circumstances. We got to the final and lost in an absolute ding-donger against United. And I think for a lot of people, that would just be, be palatable. But, you know, we've got to be looking to win this competition. And I don't care who he picks on Thursday but you have to get the job done so you know if you do play Willian or whatever listen you must know because what I mean is even if he plays the kids if he plays Willian if he loses there's nowhere to hide it doesn't really no one's going to go oh you gave the kids a chance no 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 you have to win this game there's no there's nowhere to hide on this one so 
as long as he knows that this is probably career-defining for him, this is a massive, massive game. And I'm, I'm a very results-based fan when it comes to this year's Europa League competition. I, I don't care how we're performing if you keep racking up wins. But the moment we don't win, it's, it's going to... Things things could implode very quickly at the Emirates. Semi final against Unai Emery would be so delicious, <laughs> so delicious. Oh, I would love it. That all of the fan clubs, all those <laughs> all those weirdo Unai Emery fan clubbers. Oh, it, it would be terrible for me personally if like Unai Emery got his revenge by knocking us out of his comfort blanket competition. But at least it's uh, at least it'll be exciting. There'll be something on it for that game, right? Oh, big time. If he'd done it, I mean, you know, this is this is the thing for me. Let, let me be let me be real clear. You see that game where um we played Man City and Addy Bayor scored and ran the length of the pitch and slid in front of the Arsenal fans. I don't have a problem with that. I don't all these Arsenal fans kicking off and ah oh, you're a disgrace. No. You want to get on him all game I'm all up for it, Arsenal fans. But if he wants to run over to you and slide, listen, deal with it, or don't say anything to him. And I'm the same with Unai Emery. If he beat us, oh my God, he would be walking into that press conference and he'd be... Good evening! Dropping a good evening like he's the rock in WWE. Raising Ira, good evening! (laughs) Literally, and all all the press start doing a slow clap for him, like... We don't need that to happen. Arsenal fans, it would be, we'd be into our shell till next season there. We, I don't think we'd be able to come out of our houses the next day with our head held high. So we just need to just keep our heads down and keep racking up these wins because we can't be letting Unai Emery get some redemption. It would, uh, Unai Emery would summon the charisma of Conor McGregor. Exactly. And I just want to apologise to absolutely no one. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, that would be uh, uh yeah. I, I, honestly, I, I want just just because the season's been so boring, a semi-final double leg against Unai Emery would at least at least be an interesting narrative there. And then in the final, I, you know, Man United have been solid in the Premier League this season, but in a one-off, I don't I don't see that. Don't think there's any reason that we couldn't do it but yeah got to get through uh, like to go out to Slavia Prague racist FC would just be fucking horrendous we've really got to teach him a lesson on them on Thursday yeah all right Johnny do you want to tell us about your podcast yes yes um another episode um the how's your father podcast was released today uh it's my podcast which is dedicated to all things fatherhood we look at all different aspects of it it's actually a lot funnier and more entertaining than what I sell it as sometimes. People are thinking I'm probably, you know, running some parental library classes. No, it's uh, it's it's under the entertainment category. So um, it's available where you get all your podcasts. So do give it a listen. And as I mentioned um, on the last pod, next week, it's a bit of an Arsenal legend on the uh, coming on as a guest as well, as Nigel Winterburn will be making his How's Your Father debut. You Is know, he, have you, be- you recorded it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done deal, done deal. In the bank. Um, and it was great. He's he, he's a top bloke. I've, I, I worked with him at Arsenal and he's a really lovely man. It was nice of him to come on and he was talking about, you know, what it's like to be a parent and a professional football player and how you can, you know, the, the demands on you to be performing to an elite level on the uh, weekend and still having to come home and raise kids because, no, you know, you're still having to get up in the middle of the night. So it's a really um, interesting kind of insight into that world. Awesome. I, can't, I, can't, I cannot wait to listen to that. That would be, uh, be great. And I'll, I'll put the links on the website. So go to thegrove.co.uk to find um, Johnny's podcast. And in, in the meantime, you know the drill. Go drop a five-star rating and say that you really enjoyed this on the whistle because it was a win. Um, and Johnny might see you this Thursday because I've blocked off time in my calendar. If it's if it's a good game, will we be seeing you Thursday? Am I going to give you a map one last go to see if there is truly chemistry? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it, it, getting the old band back together. Thursday, I'm there. It's, I think it's probably too big a game for me to sit this one out. So I'll make it on Thursday and then we'll uh, deal with our usual business on the weekend as well. Awesome. And on that note, ciao for now.
Is someone you love in a relationship with somebody who tells the same joke over and over? Somebody who has the audacity to starfish the bed? Now, be honest. Is that somebody you? Look, me and these nose relationships aren't perfect. That's why they're celebrating imperfectly perfect matches with their new Valentine's Day collection. Starting now and for a limited time only, new MeUndies customers get 25% off matching pairs and free shipping. Express your one-of-a-kind relationship when you match your bottom half to your better half in fun, limited-edition prints. If you're single, mingle in matching pairs with your friends or fam. You can even get dog hoodies or buddy bands to match your four-legged BFF. Be sure to check out all of MeUndies' sustainably soft undies, socks, bralettes, loungewear, and more available in sizes extra small to 4XL. Get 25% off your first order of matching pairs, plus free shipping, at MeUndies.com slash VDay25. That's MeUndies.com slash VDay25. Sports Social Podcast Network.